to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. So good to, to be in worship with you this morning. I want to remind you that on June 4th, we're going to our summer worship schedule, so which means we'll have an 815 service in the historic sanctuary. We'll have um, a 930 service, uh, traditional service in the sanctuary, and we'll have the 1045 modern service here in the gym, just so you can keep that um, on your calendar. Also, pay attention to the bulletin and the website, because there's a series of Sundays where we're going to have one combined service, so like Elder Installation Sunday, uh, July 4th, those kinds of Sundays. We'll have one service in the sanctuary. We want you to be on the lookout for that. And we're also looking for volunteers for Vacation Bible School. If you have never volunteered for VBS, it is so much fun. This place is electric with kids running around, having such a great time. Um, if, we would love to have you come volunteer. There's information on the church website where you can f- fill out a form and sign up and come be with us this summer. It's going to be great. Well, today we continue the Hidden God Sermon Series. Last week, Carrie preached, preached a great sermon about the life of Joseph, his, the roller coaster of his life, of the ups and the downs. And so often there, God remained hidden from Joseph and in the story. God isn't explicitly mentioned too often till the very end. And we see that God, that, J- that Joseph relied on a hidden God and put his faith and his trust in that God. That's what this series is about. It's about trusting in the hidden God even when God is not explicitly present to us or we don't see God's presence in our lives. Carrie's passage came at the end of the book of Genesis, and you know that the next book in the Bible is the book of Exodus. I've chosen Exodus 2 today to look at. In that first chapter, what you see is that the Egyptians, they forget that all that Joseph did to help lead the people and help them survive that time of famine. New pharaohs, new kings come and go, and they rule over Egypt. And the Hebrew people multiply. They multiply so, so into so many people that they become a threat to the Pharaoh. And, they become, and so the Pharaoh and the Egyptians enslave the Israelite people. And they continue to populate. And they, they make the, the Pharaoh nervous. They become a threat. And so the Pharaoh says, commands all the Egyptians to take every male Israelite baby and to throw the babies into the Nile. It's a way for population control. And so we're going to look in, right after that horrific scene, we're going to look at Exodus 2. Let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments you might be our teacher. That you might speak a word to our hearts by your spirit that only you can speak. Lord, you often remain hidden from sight. We can't see you. So it takes faith and trust. It takes a risk. And so, Lord, I pray that you might inspire us to take risks with our lives as you call us to. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you like taking risks? Almost 40 years ago, two college students in Spokane, Washington were dating. By the time the young woman discovered that she was pregnant, the young couple had already broken up. The woman had heard that in town there, there were people who wanted to adopt children, so she decided to go through with the pregnancy. Nine months later, she gave birth to a baby girl. A few days after that, that little girl was dropped off at our house. And now for the rest of my life, I would have a little sister named Joni. I was too young at the time to really understand the riskiness of adoption. But looking back and reflecting on it, I'm amazed at how many people made decisions, took risks, stepped out in faith in ways that led me to have a little sister. You see, much of our lives are spent analyzing decisions, doing cost-benefit analysis. We meticulously try to compare our options, think through the impact of a decision. We strategic plan. We try to see into the future. We try to control our destinies. But there are some decisions. There are some times in our lives when we throw up our hands and just have to step out in faith. This is a risky decision that Moses' mother finds herself in. The Egyptian pharaoh, out of fear and a thirst for violence, has declared that every Hebrew male child should be thrown into the Nile River. And this mother does what any good and loving mother would do. She risks her own life to try to save the life of her son by hiding him. But three months has gone by. He's gotten too big. He's gotten too loud, and surely, soon enough, one of the Egyptian slave masters is going to discover him. She can't keep him in her house, but she can't give him to a relative. That would just put the relative in the same predicament. She's wondering, what can I do? How can I save my son? Then she sees a basket in the corner of the room. Imagine she sees two containers over here, one with bitumen, one with pitch. An idea hits her. And then she says, well, what do I have to lose? If I keep my son, it will mean certain death. Better to choose the risk of the unknown than the certain death of the known. What do I have to lose? And this loving mother does the unthinkable to save the life of her son. She knows if she keeps him, he will surely die. But if she gives him away, 
Who knows what will happen? We all come to times in our lives where we face an uncertain future, and it takes courage to step out in faith, especially when God remains hidden. Did you notice that there was no mention of God's name in the story? Can you imagine such a a time of fear and anxiety and danger, and God cannot be seen? And yet this mother, she steps out in faith, takes a risk, and throws her son into the hands of a hidden God. And oftentimes this is the reality of the life of faith. We must step into the darkness, into an unknown future. This might mean taking a job that you're not sure you're qualified for. This might mean adopting a child you're not sure you're ready to adopt. It might mean being generous when you're not usually generous. It might mean forgiving someone when you're not ready to forgive. Sometimes it comes to the point where you say, what do I have to lose? This is the Christian life. It's a life of risk-taking. It's a life of faith. But just because Christian life is a life of risk-taking, it doesn't mean it's blind faith. No, it's faith or risks taken in response to evidence. Do you think Moses' mom just put that baby down in a random place on the shore? I don't think so. I think she'd been observing every day what the schedule of the bathers was. Who went where? What time did they go? And she knew that Pharaoh's daughter was going to come to that time and at that place. And she risks leaving that baby when she maximizes her chance of success. Take risks, but take them in response to evidence. My sister's taught me a lot how to do this. After college, and she traveled around for a bit, and then she got a job at a media and marketing company. She was a project manager helping companies market their message. She loved it. She loved working with the people. She loved the ideas. She loved seeing these things, these projects coming to fruition. She'd been working there for a couple years when one day there was a downturn in the economy. The agency lost several significant clients, and she was caught up in a round of layoffs. There she was, a single woman without a job in a troubled economy. She was scared about the future. She didn't know what she was going to do. Then she had getting together with two other videographers who had also gotten laid off. They were talking amongst themselves and said, we know how to do the work. We're good at it. Why don't we start up our own agency? And that's what they did. And then over time, with a lot of hard work and a lot of sleep, many sleepless nights, they turned this fledgling startup into a multi-million dollar company. They came to this place where they threw up their hands and they said, What do we have to lose? They built a successful business. Sometimes we have to take a risk based on the evidence. That's what Moses' mom does. She uses the tools at hand, the knowledge that she has to save baby Moses' life. And even though God is not mentioned, she trusts that God is there, God is hidden, and God will work behind the scenes through that little baby to eventually lead the Israelites out of bondage and captivity. This is what the life of faith is like. It's trusting that God will use our risk-taking in God's purposes, even when God is hidden. 
I was inspired to title this sermon series, The Hidden God, by a quote from the philosopher and scientist Blaise Pascal. He writes, what can be seen on earth indicates neither the total absence nor the manifest presence of divinity, but the presence of a hidden God. Everything bears this stamp. One of the reasons I love Pascal is because I think he intimately understands the skepticism of modernity. That God is not always readily apparent to us. We have doubts and we have to wrestle with it. It takes risk when God is hidden from view. Blaise Pascal was one of the most brilliant men of the 17th century. who's a mathematician who developed the fundamentals for calculus, designed Paris' transportation system, and he was an expert in probability. Probability. He believed that there were strong reasons to believe in Christ based on the evidence. And one of his famous arguments for believing in God comes in the Pensee. It's called Pascal's Wager. And one of the ongoing arguments in my house is about Pascal's Wager. My wife thinks you shouldn't make a decision about God based on probability. I think Pascal's Wager helps clarify the risk it takes in following Christ. Let me explain the argument to you, and you can decide if you're on Team Courtney or Team Jeff. Okay. Blaise Pascal analyzed the decision of faith like a gambler placing a bet. So just like a gambler carefully weighs his options and chooses the option that maximizes his potential winnings and minimizes his risk, so too a person should weigh the risks and rewards of believing in Jesus. Pascal said, if Jesus is who he said he is, then he offers us eternal life and love. That's what we were created for. And so, if Jesus is who he said he is and we believe in him, we win everything. He says, if we don't believe in him and Jesus is who he said he is, we lose everything. But then he goes on, he says, but what if Jesus isn't who he said he is and we believe in him? Well, we'd have a wrong belief. We'd have a wrong belief. He says we would miss out on some finite goods and finite experiences, but Pascal says we probably wouldn't have enjoyed them too much anyway. He said those things probably wouldn't have brought us much happiness. There he, con he concluded, even if a person is wrong in following Jesus, he or she gives up very little. Whereas if a person is right and Jesus is who he said he is, and we take that risk in believing him, we win everything. And so he says, it makes more sense to bet on Jesus, to put our faith in Christ. Pascal summarizes it. You want to be cured of unbelief and you ask for the remedy? Learn from those who were once bound like you and who now wager all they have. Follow Christ. What do we have to lose? I love the image of the Christian life that the author, pastor, and theologian Bruce Larson gives. He says, the authentic Christian life is a life between trapezes. We're like a trapeze artist risking it all on Christ, trusting in God, even when God is hidden. By living a life of faith, hope, and love, just like Moses' mom. She takes a risk on an unknown future and trusts in the hidden God. And what results? She saves the life of her son. Moses' sister sets it up so she gets to nurse the baby 
raise him. And she gets paid for it. And that little baby will go on to liberate the Israelite slaves from bondage and captivity. That little baby will go on to go up Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments, which becomes the foundation of the entire Western legal tradition. The baby will go on to lead the people through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. That baby will go on to be a descendant of the Messiah. We believe Jesus Christ. That baby will go on because that mom stepped out in faith and took a risk in an unknown future. In our lives, there are so many times we spend reflecting and thinking. We don't do anything. We don't take a risk. So we step out in faith. There was a poem written by a man who recently died. And what he wrote, I think, would make a great epitaph. He said, to laugh is to risk appearing the fool. Well, so what? Fools have a lot of fun. To weep is to risk being called sentimental. Of course I'm sentimental. I love it. Tears can help. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. Who's risking involvement? I want to be involved. To expose feelings is to risk showing your true self. What else do I have to show? To place your ideas and your dreams before the crowd is to risk being called naive. Oh, I'm called worse things than that. To love is to risk not being loved in return. I don't love in order to be loved in return. To live is to risk dying. I'm ready for it. Some years ago, my sister decided to reconnect with her biological parents. This was a risky decision for her and for our entire family. Thought about all of the ways that this could go wrong. But she wanted to do it, and so she did it. And we supported her through it. She took the risk and trusted in the hidden God working behind the scenes of this situation. And though it was a risk, God chose to work through it. He called us as a family to become more gracious, more loving, to be larger and more free. And I'll tell you what, through that process, we became better people for it. Taking a risk, living a life of faith and love, even when God is hidden, will lead you to a more full and flourishing life. Let's wager on Christ. What do we have to lose? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that when we wager in you, we know we put our weight down, we trust in your son Jesus who has revealed the hidden God to us. Lord, even when you do remain hidden from sight, I pray that we might have the courage to step out of faith, to live lives of love, hope, or in response to your good news in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.